I know you're out there. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Connecting the dots of the Constitution for you like no one else can. The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's an attorney, a disabled U.S. Army veteran, an author, public speaker, mother, pastor's wife, and a patriot. She's Chris Ann Hall. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. And we are having a slam-packed great show for you today. More incompetence in Washington, D.C. Not sure how we can actually believe that it's possible that the federal government could become even more incompetent, but I think that's probably the theme for today's show, the incompetence, not just simply incompetence, but um, uh, maleficentness. <laughs> Is that a word? I'm not sure. You're an attorney, so I guess you <laughs> I can, can make, make up words. words. Up. The wickedness of Congress to go along with their uh, with their uh, incompetence. Uh, so, JC, you and I were talking earlier today. The FBI has failed to back up servers and phone calls and conversations. And how how is that even possible? That that they can't even back up their own stuff. Oh, you're talking about the fl- the Flynn yes. and the Russia probe and oh, all that. Goodness. No, we, the whole thing's weird. It, weird. It's, it's really. It's really been bizarre from the get-go. I mean, the whole first off, um, the, the whole basis of it is bizarre from the beginning. Remember the the Flynn thing in particular, and there's mm-hmm. this whole controversy now, and now it's gotten to uh, Judge Sullivan, um, who is exact. I believe exactly the kind of judge that ought to be in that position. I mean, this guy. He's he's critical of the government, right? He's that he's in awesome. charge of overseeing this stuff, and so he has he has an innate distrust from the get go. So he's exactly the kind of guy doing exactly Woo-hoo. what he needs to do, and he doesn't just he's not just a rubber stamp. So he's he's calling them on the carpet and he's making them produce. Um, but and now the FBI is like, well, we'd love to, but but the, the the thing is really bizarre from the beginning. So I think early on, I remember you know it being repeated over and over again well whatever flynn did wasn't illegal in the first place right right but the charge is that he lied about doing it which right. i don't i don't understand i mean i guess you know you you can come up with some explanation but he could have just been honest and said yeah we had this conversation so what uh and right that would have been the end of it so he's not actually like they're talking about 
you know, here's this guy that could potentially be sentenced to five years in prison for doing what? For lying about something he did that wasn't illegal in the first place. Yeah, so uh, So, Eric Holder lied about something that he did that was illegal, and he retired with benefits and now kept his bar license. James Comey's lied even throughout this process has been found lying in (laughs) about the same investigation. So it's really weird. So, again, from the beginning, as a reminder, uh, Flynn talked to the Russian ambassador, Kislyak, about the sanctions— that uh, Barack Obama had put on Russia, mm-hmm. okay? And he basically says to the ambassador, you know, don't don't overreact to this. You know, we'd like you not to overreact to this. Mm-hmm. And then he says, okay, and tells him uh, later, we've, we've moderated our response, you know, because of our discussion, right? So it's like, then the FBI swoops in that you talk to this guy and you asked him whatever I, I, I that I don't get was so the FBI wanted which of course makes sense the FBI and the establishment wanted Russia to overreact I mean they, the, what do they they want Russia to start a cold war or whatever oh yeah which well, was which that's was my your, that's contention. rhetorical right yeah, that's my contention yeah, from the beginning you've been saying that from the get-go the that the establishment neocons the warmongers they don't like the fact that the Cold War has has sort of cooled down. Yeah. They don't they don't like the fact that it's that it's warmed up that we had a good relationship with Russia and that that things were were moving in a more right. amicable direction. Even though that was Hillary Clinton's gimmick. Push the reset. The reset button, button right? We're going <laughs> to have the bad Russian. We're going to have good relations <laughs> with with Russia. So so that's just bizarre. When it's Hillary's idea, that's a good thing. Anybody I, else's, it's not. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, whatever. Well, you know, the Bushes had to love it because the Clintons and the Bushes are buddies. Yeah, so I just want... Christmas list thing. That's been lost in this. I mean, keep in mind, from the get-go, okay, the whole thing started with Flynn asking the ambassador for Russia not to go crazy and, 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 you know, let's not start this new Cold War in reaction to the sanctions. And he goes, okay... We'll moderate our we'll moderate our response and we'll see what happens. So that's what they're that's what they pinpointed to prosecute this guy. I so that's really bizarre from the beginning and we forget it. But um, one of the things in the midst of this that you were talking about, you had Peter Strzok put on this thing in the first place, right? So he was the initial. Yeah, we did. We covered the struck thing a lot on the Chris Ann Hall show about how he's a liar, how he actually broke laws. Right. And once again, Comey style, redefining the laws to determine whether, you know, you actually uh, can't prosecute somebody for those laws or not that they redefined. So we couldn't prosecute him. So remember, he's the initial investigator on this. He and his girlfriend, his girlfriend, Paige. So and later he's. He's fired, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's thrown out on his keister. And so the thing is now, and, and, and oh, by the way, they say, oh, we can't find their text messages. We can't, you know, their phone's been erased. Right, uh, right. And they say, oh, well, Stroke's phone was erased because, you know, it was being given to somebody else. Well, Paige's phone was erased too. Was that being given to somebody else? 
Uh, no, but we erase it anyway. Anyway, that doesn't really follow policy. But yeah, hers been erased too. Sorry, no, we can do about it. Right. And they 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 finally <laughs> we, we didn't follow. Coincidentally, we didn't follow policy at this point. Yeah. You know, we just randomly decided to erase somebody's phone. And they finally completely unrelated to anything that's going on. Of course. Right. They have to dig in and finally get some of these text messages, and and then that's where they find the stuff where they say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make sure Trump doesn't get elected. We're gonna stop this. And when they talk about uh, the leak strategy. And then something comes out and he says, good job on on this uh, on on the thing on the article that came out, you know, so all this sort of stuff. Well, now. So now the thing is. um, And this is crazy. So Mm -hmm. you could probably speak to this as a prosecutor. They interviewed Flynn in January. okay? then and they they're not recording the interview and he doesn't have a lawyer when they're talking to him. Right. Uh, And so they. These reports are in what they call 302, or basically like an affidavit of what was said, right? Written by right. the agent. Right. Okay. Right. So that's Stroke and his team. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, apparently, Stroke is. This was in January of 2017. Then in August of 2017, the summary of the interview was was either written for the first time allegedly or rewritten conveniently after struck was dismissed so it's like after struck was gone they wanted to have a report that was not connected to him right. and so they rewrite it Jan- what january the, what, what is that eight seven months later eight right. months later right right so interviewing somebody and then eight months later you write the report that you don't have a recording on you write a report that says this is what was said in the interview eight months later look everybody i don't i don't mean to sort of be trite about the whole thing or 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 kitschy but everybody's watched csi Everybody's watched movies with the FBI. You don't sit down and and interview somebody without recording it. Yep. I mean, there's a camera. I mean, seriously, I, I, I don't know. We've watched we've watched shows like um, how, what was the show where the where the guy took the the pills and it made him super smart. Yeah, I don't remember, but he worked for the FBI, and there was always a video camera yep. in the room, and it was a big deal when they turned off the video camera or they turned off the recording device. You know, hey, I'm turning this off. I'm not supposed to, right? Seriously, and I'm not trying to say that TV should be our mark of 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 uh, police procedure or in and law enforcement procedure, but come on, no, give me you, a break. You already you know, know what's suspicious, like uh, when you see it, right. like that's not normal. That's not right. Right, and it's. In Hollywood, it's it's the 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 epitome of suspicious when they turn off the recording yeah. device. You know something's up. So now, and then bear in mind. But then to seriously propose that we didn't record this as a matter of procedure, and and we our report is eight months after the fact. Now yeah. remember the, the and even though we didn't record it, remember this: the initial agents uh, said, "Well, we didn't detect any." any indications that Flynn was lying. Right. And then Comey sat in front of Congress. Now, here's Comey. He sat in front of Congress and said, no, we didn't have any reason to believe that uh, that, that Flynn was lying. Right. And then Comey later says, I didn't say that. I mean, you can pull up the video and watch Comey sitting in front of Congress. I'm pretty sure and, we watched it live. And then he says, no, I didn't say that. You misunderstood. So, so that guy, you talk about a liar, it's that guy. Um, and then... Uh, the I think the latest interview, Comey says, you know, ordinarily you would go and you, you, you know, there are procedures that you follow and you go through uh, the White House 
uh, representative and the chief of staff and this and that to interview a guy like that. Right. And he said, but I just figured let's just send a couple guys over, and I sent them over. So, you know, everything was just totally out of the ordinary. And so that's where this Judge Sullivan is now going, hey, you know what? Because I guess he's already been bitten by a similar thing in the past right. because of this. And so he's dotting the, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. He says, you know what? This smacks of entrapment to me. And it Thank looks you. like you've got this Peter Strzok thing that you're you're trying to, you know, I'm pretty sure I used those words, entrapment, when we talked about yeah. this. Yeah, so, so he's basically demanding – all right, you got to produce. Give me these three hundred twos. Give me these summaries. Give me the the documents. I need to see this. And and here's the thing: the judge can throw this plea deal out and make them take this thing to trial. He doesn't have to accept this no, plea deal. No, that's that's right. He does not have to accept the plea deal. And that's something that so I it's wanna, totally up in the air again. That's that is a criminal procedure that we ought to talk about just a few minutes when we come back from the break. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. And uh, while, while we're here, I want to take an opportunity before we get into back into the constitutional current event issues of the day. I want to take the opportunity to invite you to some very important training that we have coming up in January. This is our In Defense of Liberty Firearms slash Constitutional Training. It's going to happen from January 18th through 20th, 2019 in uh, Texas. So uh, this is Chris Ann Hall and Liberty First University collaborating with Larry Stevenson and 3D Martial Arts and Technical Defense to offer this incredible weekend of arms and self-defense training all in the defense of liberty. Now, look. It doesn't matter if you live in Texas or not. This helps you just from the basic skill level, right? Colton, we sent Colton to be trained by Larry. Yeah. And Larry is phenomenal with young people and old people alike. He is a certified law enforcement trainer. And we posted videos. Have you, you were amazed at how well Colton did with Larry. That's awesome. So Saturday and Sunday gun training is more than fun and fitness, It will satisfy all conceal and carry requirements for Texans and citizens of any other state that holds license reciprocity with Texas. It qualifies as continuing education credits for many deputies and peace officers nationwide. That means if you're an officer, your training could be tax deductible. And not only that, last but not least, You will ensure that you and your family members are well-trained in the skill of self-defense and preservation of liberty. And I'm going to announce to you a really special deal. Everyone who signs up for at least one day of arms 
and self-defense training. You can sign up for Saturday or you can find sign up for Saturday and Sunday. Everybody who signs up for one or two of the uh, self-defense training classes will be eligible to win six months of Liberty First University subscription for free. That's a $120 value giveaway to all those who register and uh, come for the Saturday or Saturday and Sunday training. So go to chrisannhall.com, chrisannhall.com, click on the in defense of training banner and get signed up today. We had a fam, we have a family coming from Florida, JC. So look, this is not just a Texas thing. This is an everybody thing. And uh, we, we, we need to, to really, really uh, get involved in this kind of education. And so, uh, as you mentioned before we left the break, JC, the judge does not have to take a plea deal. Right. I was a prosecutor for almost a decade, a little over a decade. I can tell you that that happens. I've seen it happen. I've seen a judge say, hey, um, this plea deal is ridiculous. It does not match the crime. It's not severe enough. It's too severe. I'm not going to sign this. And I've even seen a judge, actually, J.C., question the defendant about the plea deal and say, look, just exactly as you said, I I don't think I can in conscience take this plea deal because I don't think this person thinks they committed the crime that that they're pleading to. And so that's that's what we're talking about. So what happens, do you suppose, if this judge overturns this plea deal? Uh, uh, they go to trial. Yeah. I do mean, they? is this I mean, going to be the same judge that they're sitting in front of if they go to trial? Well, yeah. I it t- typically it would so be you because bet your bottom dollar. I'd go to trial. Yeah, if no you, kidding. If he rejects the plea, I mean, you already <laughs> you already have kind of you know what the where the judge is at. You know, you know, this this idea of, of understanding a plea deal seems to be a confusing aspect to some people, even to Judge Napolitano uh, on uh, on Fox. Uh, judge Napolitano said that the pres- that the judge found in the Michael Cohen case that the president ordered and paid for Michael Cohen to commit a crime. The judge did not find anything in that case. The judge simply accepted the plea deal. Uh It's not a finding of guilt or innocence. Now, in this case, because the judge has become actively involved in the evidentiary process, but this judge didn't do that. There was no finding. There was merely an acceptance of a plea deal. And just because this judge wants to get involved in this process and decides to overturn the plea deal doesn't mean, and I want to make this clear, It does not mean that every acceptance of a plea deal by a judge is an acceptance of the facts of the case as a whole. Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. 
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Don't forget your constitutional training can be found at libertyfirstuniversity.com. The best constitutional training other than what Thomas Jefferson might have given you. <laughs> so where do you see all of this going, JC? Because I've let you sort of take the lead on all of this. I, I told you, I'm probably going to trial. I mean, if he, it's all a matter of what they what they show the judge and what he thinks about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Who so knows? I don't know. It's it's <laughs> this yeah. stuff's been. I mean, that's been the thing about it. It's been so unpredictable. Well, because this stuff's it's crazy. It's because it's chaos. Yeah, it does it's it? chaos because you haven't been following procedure. Exactly. There's a procedure that's set up, and people aren't following it, and then they're lying along the way. Obviously, lying along the way. Uh, changing testimony, saying, I didn't say this, I did say this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And now you've got people in the media saying misinformation as well about what's going on, and, and, and nobody now, knows what's going on. And now you run up against a judge who wants to follow procedure. Right. So he could derail the entire chaotic mess. Right. And, and make you like, hey, guys, there's something called due process and criminal procedure. How about we follow that? Right. So that's where we are. Right. Well, you know, I mean, seriously, the whole thing is just a mess. You've got to wonder why somebody would take a plea deal like that to begin with. Well, so that you have to know, uh, seeing how this stuff works. I mean, first off, you had the report came out from the House looking at these FBI reports saying the initial agent said they didn't think he intentionally lied about this, right? So... And then it moves uh, uh, later, right? It's later, eight months later, then you get you get uh, Mueller involved and all this sort of stuff, and it's a different thing. So you know how that goes, and you don't know how the guy said what he said. You know, again, if their initial impression was, well, we don't think he meant to deceive, right? So what does that mean? He misspoke. He said something a certain right, way. Right. But, but now you've got different actors involved saying, okay, here's what we got. And and this is what's going to happen to you. And so they can pressure a person. You know how it is. We're having worked in the pr- pr- uh, prosecutor's office. You you pressure the person. It doesn't matter necessarily what he did, whether it was wrong or not. It's what they feel the prosecution can prove, and, you know, and how, that, how the whole thing is going. If he feels like, hey, the cards are stacked against me, and mm-hmm. my best option is to cop to something so that I can get a deal, then that's what I'm going to do. And, and to already – you know, to kind of know that, well, I'm not going to get a lot of prison time. I'm not going to, you know, it's, I'll probably get a light sentence and we'll just move on with this. And people like that are kind of shielded uh, in their world. I mean, well, you, you, know, you have people that have come through this stuff, prison and felons. Now they're back in the administration. They're mm-hmm. back in office, all this sort of stuff. So, you know, you I can take a plea deal of- without having to necessarily think that you did anything wrong. You're just trying to trying to escape you know, with your life. Well, and I have seen that in in practical truth as a prosecutor myself, watching uh, other prosecutors and, and seeing people who have been thrust into the criminal justice system who simply don't know what's going on. And I've seen plenty of people come back after a plea deal has been made and say I had no idea what I was pleading to. Yep. And my question would be somebody like this, who's well-connected, who can afford the best of the best lawyers, 
I mean, you know, that's why I said, well, how could he do this? Yeah, and he's but particularly, but I'm not talking in general because I've seen lots of people who take bad plea deals because it's just like you said. The prosecutor says, well, you know, we've got this charge, this charge, this charge, this charge. If you don't take a plea deal and we go to trial and if you're found guilty at trial, I'll have no I'll have no uh, other choice but then to ask for maximum penalties. And now you're looking at 300 years in prison. But if you take a plea deal to this lesser charge and I'll allow you to plea no contest, which means you're not admitting your guilt. It's not uh, denying guilt or admitting guilt. You're just simply a plea of convenience is what they call that. And you plea to this and and we'll we'll you know these are the terms of that agreement but yep. like i said this guy no but if this you're guy. but if you're in his shoes i mean you've got the whole fbi uh lined up against you the power the full power of the federal government and the federal judicial system and you, and you look around where he, where he was at then you've got this whole uh, public hysteria about russia going on mm. i mean that's a lot of pressure for you know they could have told him hey here's what you're looking at so I can easily conceive, uh, you know, taking a plea deal and and admitting, you know, being talked into that stuff. From what I've, you know, from what I've seen, being acquainted with the criminal justice system that you worked in, mm-hmm. and and us watching this stuff for years, I can well, certainly envision seeing it how here. void the federal justice system has become of of any kind of real justice and due process to begin with. I mean, you've yeah. got, like, I mean, you just rattled off like a whole line of collusion. You got the FBI working together. You got the Department of Justice prosecutors working together. You got the federal judges working FISA together. Courts. You've got the FISA courts. You've got. You've got now you've got the the court of public opinion, all of these things weighing down on somebody. If somebody said, hey, I'll let you go spend six months in a white collar prison where, you know, you eat crab legs and lobster and and prime rib all the time. And it's not really a prison, more like a hotel. You can't leave for six months. I don't know. I I guess I could see that. Yeah. And you got a general like Flynn. I mean, decades in the military, you know, something like, hey, you're going to be branded as a traitor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, helping the Russians spy, helping the Russians overturn an election, you know, all this sort of stuff. So um, I just I wonder, can anybody get a fair shake in the federal judiciary judicial system anyway? It, it doesn't seem to matter what happens in court when when, you know, no matter what happens, the media is not going to portray it accurately anyway. And things are going to spin up in the in the way they are. The best thing you can hope for is that something big comes along in your yesterday's news and you can go yeah. on and live your life again. That's, you know, so that's Flynn. I, I, the Cohen thing is, is kind of a separate, is, is completely separate. Oh yeah. Uh, issue. And this is Trump's payment to his, to his, uh, porn star girlfriends or mistress or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, show me a man and I'll show you the crime. So kind of thing. we find something to well, they'll find something to pin Trump on Trump here before this is all over. I'm certain of it. Well, that's the whole thing about this to me is it, it's not particularly in this issue with uh, Stormy Daniels and Cohen and all this sort of stuff. It's not, uh, you know, it's not that, OK, Trump's innocent of wrongdoing and he, you know, he's uh, he's a choir boy and all this. But it's the inequity in in targeting Trump right. as opposed to anyone else, right? right? Any of the stuff that, like, for instance, Barack Obama, they're talking about uh, election campaign uh, violations, right? FEC violations. 
Uh, Barack Obama was guilty of that, right? And they just, okay, here you pay this fine. It was like the biggest fine in, in history for the federal election campaign violation, okay? So it's a different, it's like different set of standards. Here's yeah. Trump, which is, this is almost like a degree removed. It wasn't directly campaign finance right. funds, right? right? It was an issue of, hey, pay this chick to be quiet because it's going to make me look bad. You know, that kind of thing. It was pretty much a private contractual agreement at some point. Yeah. You know, so two consenting individuals. It's more like a non-disclosure agreement. With right. A payment. It, exactly. And, and so <laughs> in that like, sense, I mean, some well, of these. We'll pay you to sign this non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. So even some of the attorneys and former commissioners saying you're going to have a tough time connecting that to right. campaign finance. Right. But right. Barack Obama was directly connected to campaign finance and they just, okay, here's a fine. It wasn't some prison time or right. whatever. Right. And you know, and you can go down the list of how many, any of, any of these guys, you look at Pelosi, Feinstein with all their different, uh, corrupt connections of, of mm -hmm. graft and special favors and special contracts and in the, these million dollar deals that they have have gotten, you know, so that to me, you don't see the media making a big deal out of all these things. So it's just it's the Trump targeting and right. And, but that gets it, it gives them grounds. Right. You when you argue it. Oh, so you're you know, that you're supposed to be like the one thing. Oh, the, you look at the evangelical supporting this guy. He's messing around with porn star and all this sort of stuff. So they they Well, but then they you've throw... got the false narrative that's being repeated in the media, like Napolitano said, that the, the president, that the judge found that the president ordered and paid for Michael Cohen to commit a crime. Yeah, but that's it's simply not true. But it's the same thing, right? Yes. You, you, in other words, you have people that hate Trump personally right napolitano looks at him as a moral degenerate right okay and so then they they can't be unbiased in right. how they how they say this right so so uh they can't restrain their emotion which colors their analysis of what's going on now uh, now napolitano he will stand up and he will he will uh he will characterize all the other folks that we're talking about okay so mm -hmm. he will do that right right but at the same time you can in this arena particularly the cohen thing you've constantly been able to see his disdain okay for so the president but as a judge he has to know the error in his statement that accepting a plea is not the finding of guilt right it is not it's the well, acceptance of, you know of a plea Th that's my point it's not so the media uh, the left media and 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 many of the conservatives. You look at what's the guy's name, Eric Erickson, who just I mean he he has he's a conservative with Trump derangement syndrome. Mm -hmm. So it, it's on both sides where that you hate this guy so much, right? You ought to be able to just report the facts, and that's enough. Right? I mean, you could just say, hey, this is this not a this is not moral behavior, and this is what happened, and this is it, and it's not good. You don't have to embellish. Right. right. And and add other stuff. Right. And like Erickson, he all of a sudden he mocks all the, uh, you know, evangelicals that might support Trump because of this thing and, and just just real obnoxious about it. So th this Trump derangement syndrome is real. It's it's bipartisan uh, and it makes it hard 
for to get to get to the facts. You know, JC, that's why I am so very grateful that we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over personality. I'm so grateful f- that we have been able to to by the grace of God maintain that 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 dedication that that adherence to the constitution which which keeps that tribe we're almost tri- tribalistic to the constitution if you want sure. to say that you know and so i am i'm i'm grateful because we're able to to bring people the, the truth in how this all works we'll be right back after the break Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. You got something you, for me, you J.C.? So you said, I didn't want to leave without this. You said you're hearing from places that uh, Newt Gingrich is being floated as a chief of staff replacement yep. for Donald Trump. Yep. Uh, that's interesting because I yeah. think Christie bowed out, and and so that now that's the big buzz of who's going to be the chief. Well, Christie was going to be the attorney general replacement. Oh no, it was chief of staff chief after of staff that. To, it after went from that? AG. Oh. AG, everybody else was talking about, and then I guess I'm grateful for whatever miracle caused Chris Christie to say bow out. But whatever, I don't know. <sighs> so Newt Gingrich, I guess, is is being targeted. That's what you're hearing. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, it's just what's floating through Twitter, that Newt Gingrich is the the next on the slate to fill in the chief of of staff slot. Well, it's definitely his insider acumen, uh, you know, and his savvy for for these things. He knows how to deal with Diane Feinstein and well, Nancy he, Pelosi. That's for sure. You're talking. <laughs> I mean, this is the guy uh, with. You know, he was the guy primarily responsible for crafting the uh, contract. What was it? Contract with America and the 1994 House Revolution, the Mm so-called Republican Revolution. They gained, you know, 200 plus seats in the House and all these governorships. And the first time um, Republicans had held this in 40 years. Now, the the problem, of course, that lasted for about two, uh, two term. Well, about five about 10 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So about five terms in, in, uh, in the house. But, uh, after about eight years, there was all this stuff about, ha- about how these guys had gone native, just like the 2010 mm-hmm. tea party yeah. wave, they get in there. And then, so the, not all the rules and restrictions they had put on themselves in, uh, 94, about eight years later, they were overturning all these things. And, and you trying know, to hold on to power. I was reading Mercy Otis Warren's um, dissent on the Constitution before the Bill of Rights, and one of her one of the big points of contention was the terms of of office. Yeah, they were t- the, the Articles of Confederation operated where everybody had one year. 
You were one year, and then you had to be reelected. There was an election for everybody every single year, and the idea that a House member could serve two years was outrageous to them because they believed that they should never be seated comfortable. They should never be this, this you know, like you said, go native kind of thing, and that every single year they should be worried about losing their position. Yeah. And I think I, I was reading her argument. It was a very, very good argument, and... Uh, she claims that at the time that these uh, terms of two years or more would do nothing but create a, a political aristocracy in America. And that's exactly what's happened. And, and I think that brings about the whole argument for term limits. It, we wouldn't need term limits if there was an election every single year. They wouldn't be able to put their claws in. They wouldn't be able to establish footholds. And, and, and people would have every... Th- there would be, put it this way, there would practically be no idea of incumbency. Yeah, well, the 94, the, the Republican Revolution in 94, the elections were won. All these people won election mm-hmm. on a message. Right. Okay, rather than, rather than it yeah. being surrounding individuals. Th- this was the success of that 94 uh, revolution led by Gingrich. It's kind of like had, in 2010 was the whole Tea Party thing. Right, so they, come right, on the exactly. They had a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been the problem with Republicans really ever since, with the exception of, and, and I think that Tea Party wave, that was, that was not a message like 1994 that was crafted you know, by Gingrich and the leaders of it, that was a message that those guys were reacting to. The message came from the people, from the grassroots. So they basically rode uh, that the people's message, which I think it made made it less effectual. So those guys, it seemed to me, turned native faster than the ones in '94 their because it was wasn't never their, their message exactly. It wasn't their message in the first place. When we come back after the break. Uh, we are going to be starting the second half of the show, so we're saying goodbye to those of you who only catch the first half. Go to chrisannhall.com, listen to the whole show, because when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about the farm bill and the infamous war powers uh, Trojan horse thing that was stuck into the farm bill. And there's a lot of controversy about this particular clause, and we're going to get into it and explain everything to you. Be right back after the break. The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. On the Daily Journal this week, JC, we talked about the farm bill and what a colossal unconstitutional, immoral, destructive thing it actually is. $800 billion of more spending uh, for things like food stamps and corporate welfare. Well, uh, we talked about Justin Amash's tweet as well. So go back to the Daily Journal show where we talk about uh, what your conservative Congress did 
and uh, get the details on this farm bill. But I want to talk about a specific thing that Justin Amash tweeted, and it's and it's bringing up quite a bit of controversy. Justin tweeted, today the House voted to block Congress, yes, Congress blocked itself, from attempting to withdraw U.S. forces from Yemen, and it voted to hand out billions of dollars in corporate welfare and subsidies via the so-called farm bill. I voted no. Now, here's the thing. This, I don't know, JC, what does the War Powers Act have to do with a farm bill? Nothing. Why would we even allow, why would we even permit our Congress to put these things? And that's what they're doing with these appropriation acts. You put a title on it like defense spending or farm bill, and then they're going to shove junk in there that they can't get past any other way. And so there's this section in the Farm Bill that reads, Section 2 provides that the provision of Section 7 of the War's Power Resolution, 50 U.S.C. 1546, shall not apply during the remainder of the 115th Congress to a concurrent resolution introduced pursuant to Section 5 of the War Powers Resolution with respect to Yemen. So a lot of people are like, I don't like the War Powers Act. Why, why would I be upset about them suspending the War Powers Act? Well, number one, they didn't suspend the War Powers Act. Number two, they suspended congressional oversight in the War Powers Act as regard to Yemen. So basically what they did was, yes, I don't like the War Powers Act either. I think we need to get rid of the War Powers Act. But this thing in the farm bill, JC, I don't know if you're actually going to believe this, actually got rid of the best part of the War Powers Act. So what they did was they, they suspended congressional oversight to the war uh, or to this conflict with Yemen, because remember, there's no war. They suspended congressional oversight and said, we're not even going to allow a vote in the House regarding our action in Yemen, which means the President of the United States has unilateral, unchecked, ungoverned authority to do whatever he pleases in Yemen without Congress. So the War Powers Act was designed, as we know, to sort of abdicate congressional power to allow the president to become the war machine uh, absent a, a proper declaration of war. You know the Constitution delegates the power to Congress to declare war. And only when declared war does the president have control over the troops. But we haven't had a declaration of war since World War II. And since we haven't had a declaration of war since World War II, all of our overseas conflicts have been very literally unconstitutional. And so what the Congress did today, or what the Congress did last week, was to uh, gut the War Powers Act and congressional oversight as it only applies to Yemen. And we have people like Amash, Gates, Massey saying, are you stinking kidding me? 
we have now completely eliminated house authority to make any kinds of decisions in this this farm bill that wasn't even uh it doesn't have anything to do with farming and as I, i don't know if this is like a direct response or not jc but on um let's see what is today on thursday the senate right after the house votes in this farm bill that says the house will not vote on anything that has to do with Yemen for the rest of this congressional term. The Senate passed a resolution calling for an end to U.S. military support in, in Yemen. Now, I, I'm, I'm really sort of perplexed. I guess I shouldn't be perplexed, though, because this is what we call the constitutional chaos. When you leave the Constitution, you create chaos and what we have now is the senate passed 56 to 41 marking the first time the senate has invoked the war powers resolution to seek to curb the power of the president to take u.s into armed into an armed conflict so what we have is the sen- the house saying we're not going to vote on yemen for the next year, we're not going to have anything to do with the war, uh, any, anything to do with Yemen for the next year. We're going to gut the War Powers Act on our control. The Senate comes in and says, hey, we're now going to pass a resolution that says we want Trump to pull out of Yemen. This is, th- I don't know if this is confusing to hear. It's somewhat confusing to say. Because the procedure ought to be, number one, Congress, the House and the Senate, they come together, they create a resolution, they they, uh, declare war. The president then moves the troops and becomes the commander-in-chief during the war. At the end of the conclusion of whatever our portion of the war should be, Congress, the House, and the Senate should move together, pass a resolution, to withdraw, to end our participation in this war, at which time, and this is the important part, at which time the president is required to then be the commander-in-chief that pulls out the troops. But we have become so subservient to an executive warlike authority that we now have the House saying we're not going to do anything about it, we have the Senate saying we're, we're passing a resolution and we're hoping that you'll do this. At this point in time, as a matter of law, as a matter of the Constitution, the Senate, the, Donald Trump should be like, okay, the Senate has passed this resolution and uh, we are now going to withdraw our troops. We will no longer participate in Yemen and all of our troops are coming home. And that's how it's supposed to work. But 45 years ago, we passed the War Powers Act, and for 45 years, we've been operating unconstitutionally. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Uh, but I hate, to, I, hate to, I hate to burst everybody's bubble. Okay, and I hate to bring this back to this again because Rand Paul is 
Rand Paul is uh, is all Pollyanna today about it, and you know this is this is historic, and this is great, and this is bipartisan, whatever. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the deal. This is about Trump. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's about Trump. It's, Absolutely. That's all it is. Okay. It is so, because this, and that's what I mean. They're about. Uh, it, it's about. It's about rebuking the Trump administration when, in reality, it ought to be about. Congress and the Senate saying we've got no authority to be there in the first place. This was the point that Amash and Massey and the House members were making who voted against the farm bill partly. And because of this, we need to be coming together saying we got no business to be there. Let's tell the president to pull the troops out. Yeah, okay, I'm just saying if if people are all of a sudden, you know, so libertarians and everybody, liberty folks out there are all of a sudden hopeful that our warmongering days are behind us and we had some epiphany and look what they're doing pulling out of Yemen. Okay. Yemen is a Saudi led war. All right. Yeah. So why was this like the establishment, most establishment Republicans uh, were against stopping the war, right? So Mm -hmm. most of the establishment Republicans wanted to continue the Yemen War. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Who, who, who supported it? The 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 Liberty Caucus, right? The mm-hmm. concert, the Liberty guys supported it. Okay. okay. This was a big thing that um, uh, uh, Marco Rubio was all over Yemen. We got to go to Yemen. We got to go. Blah, blah, sure. Blah, blah, okay. Right? So he's an establishment group, right? So the Liberty Caucus supports it. Massey, uh, Mosh, all these guys, they're for it. All right. So uh, why never why supported it? No support. The resolution is what I'm talking about. The the republic the Republican. This is a Senate resolution. Well, well, so the Liberty Caucus in the Senate is what I'm saying. Yeah, Massey and 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 all those types are supporting this. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's who voted for it. Mm -hmm. Now, who it was fifty what fifty six to forty one or whatever it was. Who 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 stood with them? Okay, Bernie Sanders, right? He's always going to be there. He's always going to be anti-war. Okay, so you could throw him in with the Liberty Caucus. But who are these other guys? All right, so Democrats came across the aisle and supported this resolution to get out of Yemen. Mm -hmm. All right, so, oh, it's bipartisan, and Rand Paul's all excited. It's bipartisan support. The only reason those Democrats came across, because those Democrats normally support all this warmongering. They would, under normal circumstances, they would be with the establishment. The establishment Democrats and the establishment Republicans are going to vote together pro-war. The reason those Democrats... pro-Saudi war, because the Saudis are all the buddies. Listen to me. The reason those Democrats came across Mm -hmm. the aisle is because of this Khashoggi thing and because because they look at Trump as trying to cover for the Saudis and cover for, for the prince who committed this murder. That's why they supported this. This is all about slapping trump in the face and if you're not going to punish the saudis then we're gonna we're gonna do it ourselves so this so, but that do doesn't not answer... look for this to be a trend okay but see this doesn't this that's the senate side i think yes. the, the the part that i'm really i'm i'm upset about is the house side because the i Massey, just told you Justin i just told you the no. republicans control the house so therefore they're not going to vote against the yemen war the reason right, this passed in the senate paul, is because the democrats paul ryan it. that pushed this through and and hid this from the people in the fa- in the in the uh, farm bill.
The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. And we're talking about the Congressional Trojan Horses, this procedure that the establishment has to embed things into these must-pass bills, like a defense appropriation, like farm bills. You know, you, you name it in defense of, of the, the childless immigrants, and we're going to stick anything in it, right? And or the, 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 the parentless immigrants or something. And so what we have is in the farm bill, Paul Ryan, and like you said, the establishment tucking this thing in there that abd- I, 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 I don't even think it, could, it can be constitutional. I think people like Matt, this is the kind of thing that Massey and uh, that Amash and these congressmen need to bring to the Supreme Court. I think they need to file a lawsuit against the Farm Bill Act and this provision uh, to, and, and, and tell the Supreme Court, you need to tell uh, Congress they're not allowed to do this. You yep. can't hide these things in the bills, and you can't hide something in a bill that directly violates the Constitution and eliminates the representation of the people in something as serious as matters of war and conflict. Yeah. So I don't know if I made myself clear the last segment. There, there, you, you had the support of stopping, I guess a double negative. Mm-hmm. So you had – this was a, a resolution in the Senate – to stop support for the war in Yemen. Right. The Senate resolution. That went forward. 56 to 41. Because you have enough Democrats, right? Remember, the Senate is right. tight. Right. You have right. enough Democrats to cross out support this. Four. Because, because they want to slap Trump in the face. Okay. In the House, you don't have that. There aren't enough Democrats. That's why. The, in other words, that's the why Republicans. They, that's why Paul Ryan had to pull the, rep, the, the House out of the entire process. Because. Because he can, because right. the Republicans control the House. Right. Okay. They have the House. They have the vast majority. Right. That's going to change in January. Right. Okay. But that hasn't changed yet. People, I, I don't know. Hello, people. I don't know if you get this. Uh, the election that just happened, those guys aren't in office right, yet. Exactly. They don't come in office until January. So this is a Republican move, a Republican-controlled House that supports war. They want war everywhere. Okay. And so they don't want the Democrats in the House to have the authority to come in in the next session and uh, to to pull all, all the troops out. No, basically. but let's be clear. This is what I'm saying. Let's, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. This is not about Democrats not supporting war. This mm-hmm. is about Democrats poking their finger in the eye of Trump. Okay? Right. Oh, no, Trump's no, I don't think anybody's arguing Trump's, with that. When, no, when Trump's out of office... No, I'm looking at at Rand Paul and his flowery speech about what a you know great historic moment and precedent. That's nonsense. This is complete politics. I mean, yeah. well, I, I love Paul you, Rand. I love you, Rand Paul, but that's he's that's been not politics lately, that's so. not what's going on here. Yeah, this is this is pure anti uh, an anti-Trump move. That's why they supported this. But if you'll notice, there's still plenty of Democrats in there. Yeah, look, the South, the Saudis. Let me say this very clearly. The Saudis have owned the United States of America and its government for a very, very long time. So there are still plenty of Democrats that are not going to buck. At least since Bush won. That they're not going to buck the Saudi kingdom. All right? right. So when you talk, how many are you talking about in the Senate? Four Democrats support this? Mm-hmm. So 
that's plenty of Democrats, House and and Senate, plenty of Republicans, House and Senate. They're not going to turn against well, the Saudis. Well, let me let me propose something to you They're that bought and paid you for. just made me think about something. So, uh, because it it I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this idea that we are going that the House just voted themselves out of the entire constitutional process of war in Yemen. And uh, again, it's it's it ought not be even possible that they could do this, but they've done this. And the, the comment that you made, well, it's when the next Congress comes in. Well, that provision then ends, right, with this right. new Congress now, coming now I in. Meant, I meant the, the uh, Republican versus Democrat. That's going to that's gonna shift. They're no right. longer going to have the majority. But I don't know that their relationship to Saudi Arabia is going to change. Depends on how this Khashoggi thing plays out. This is political theater. So basically, this part of the farm bill denying the congressional the the house authority to have any kind of debate or discussion on Yemen pretty much ends in January. Correct. Undoubtedly. So this was completely and totally establishment republicans trying to keep the liberty caucus from taking They're control of the last minute out. They're sending a message to their handlers in Saudi Arabia. The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. Chris Ann Hall here. K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Don't forget to get your constitutional training at LibertyFirstUniversity.com, LibertyFirstUniversity.com, where you can find out about the presidential powers. You can find out about this declaration of war. You can find out about uh, congressional power and all, and the, the limit of the authority of the government by the terms of the Constitution itself. You can have these kinds of discussions with your friends and family members as a student from Liberty First University. And I can tell you, we get great, great testimonials every day about people doing great things with the education there. And so libertyfirstuniversity.com. Um, JC, we should, people should give this as a Christmas present. You can get a three-month subscription, a six-month subscription to LFU and give it as a Christmas present to somebody that you love. What greater love than knowledge and liberty? So anyway, um, the Less. handlers, the handlers, you said they're sending a message to the handlers in Saudi Arabia. Uh, people have no idea how beholden we are to Saudi Arabia, L lest we forget. Okay, R remember, no, I, remember, we were told 19 Saudi hijackers exactly, flew, planes, flew planes into the Twin Towers and we invaded Saudi Arabia? No. No, we Afghanistan. invaded Afghanistan. Okay, <laughs> so come on. And and that's the whole debate. You got the, the prince uh, basically sending his his uh, his thugs to murder this guy who was who was you know Muslim Brotherhood uh, journalist. I mean whatever. So it's not like Khashoggi, some great guy, right? But 
Uh, he's it, not going to be winning any Pulitzer Prizes or any. Oh Nobel. yeah, he'll. Oh well. Oh well, he, he will he, now. I'm sure, he will. Posthumously. He probably already won Pulitzer Prize because you know he. I mean, oh, I that, meant that's, Nobel Pre- Peace Prize. Yeah, he won't get any peace prizes. Yeah, oh, no, well, that the, doesn't mean anything anymore. Anyway, shut up, Christine. <laughs> so, anyway, the point is, it's not. This is. Don't don't think this is some anti-Saudi, uh, you know, anti-war, whatever. This is all. This is political theater. One more time. So now, I don't know. Rand is Rand Paul naive, or I mean, what is he trying to? I don't know what he's. Let me. To. I. You know. He's just it hope, could be. Hope, hope springs eternal. I yeah, don't know, because but, nothing nothing succeeds like success. So you can yeah. show people that that it is possible. Sure. To move against this, and you can encourage your base to become more active in that direction some more. Look, yeah. we're making progress. Let's keep going. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, let uh, Senator Paul enjoy your enjoy your moment of revelry, whatever. Uh, but give me a break. This is theater. Yeah, and I really didn't. I, I didn't actually think about it as a victory in any way, except. I, I, quite the opposite. This is a constitutional crisis. This is a constitutional abomination, and the idea, the idea in my mind now, is that this Congress has established a precedent that will be unchallenged yeah. because you can't challenge it between now and January. So that's they set the up best. a precedent that 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 will go unchallenged. That Congress can vote themselves. Out of a process, the House. But on the other the hand, House. on the other hand, in the Senate, mm-hmm. they can now point to that precedent. They can point back to this resolution as yeah. well. So that's the right. the only good thing is in this is that uh, okay, hey, this this uh, resolution affirms that basically we should follow the Constitution, right? And yeah. we, we should follow the law, the the War Powers Act, to the extent that it adheres to the Constitution, and saying that. Hey, this is a, this is a power of Congress. Yeah, this is not an executive power. So here's what needs to happen after this resolution being passed on Thursday. Donald Trump should start ordering the troops home, and just deal with it. I mean, seriously, he he really has no other authority. Well, he may. I mean, who who knows? He he could do that. I mean, I don't. Whether he does or not, it's what he should do because yeah. that's that's what the Constitution demands. You you have to bear in mind again. And I, whatever whatever people think doesn't matter to me. Uh, tr- Trump's not in charge, and in many of these areas, he follows no, he follows advisors, and particularly in in this area of of, uh, of def- the defense contractors and the war machine and all this sort of stuff. We've seen time and time again uh, the fingerprints of these bunch of warmongers in D.C. that uh, that run this thing because Trump. Uh, Trump, when he's talking, when he was talking on his own, you know, individually, you see him in the campaign, you see him just talking uh, without somebody telling him, you know, here's what you got to do. He's not a big pro-war guy. Mm-mm. Okay. You hear him. I wouldn't say he's, he's pro-police an- power, but not right. pro I wouldn't pro say war. he's anti-war, but he's, you know, when you hear him speaking personally, he's not, a, he's not some warmonger, but that's a different animal altogether when he's now the president of the United States and he's following, he's taking, uh, letting somebody else take the lead. He's following the advice of whoever these people are. And so now you can see time and again, uh, just like Barack Obama, Barack Obama was no different. 
Barack Obama talked this big game about pulling the troops out and getting out all these wars, and he was the big peace guy. And you look, he got in, it, and it was completely night and day. Yeah. This guy got us in. He was in like, war. I'm going to get out of Guantanamo. He was getting out of everywhere. He was every, getting out of everywhere. Every war was coming to an end, and he hate war and all this sort of stuff. He got in there. Man, that guy, Barack Obama, got us into more wars. He had more simultaneous wars going and started more wars than than practically all other presidents in history combined. And so once once you get in there, it's a whole different ball game. So th- th- this is no different. And all this stuff uh, with the idea that somehow we suddenly became the 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 Congress uh, or the Senate in particular suddenly became pro constitution and anti you know uh, military adventurism is is a complete uh, farce. And so well, and in the same regardless respect, of how excited Senator Rand Paul is, this is <laughs> political theater. And just in the same respect, I I heard a lot of people passing through Twitter and the social media, you know, I don't like the War Powers Act. Why are you upset about this anyway? This was not a revocation of the War Powers Act by the House. No. This was not even an a this was not even a a um a disassociation of the House no, with the War Powers Act. It was it was the Is exact that seriously? opposite. Yeah. No, That's was, what people are saying? Come on. That I mean, was guys, the exact really. opposite. Give me a break. No, they, this was they they got they what they did was the worst part. The worst thing they could have done to the War Powers Act. The worst thing they could have done to the War Powers Act was to pull the house out of it. Okay, time out. Let's not overcomplicate this thing. This is one thing very simply, okay? People get this. It's very simple. It was nothing it's not uh, some commentary on the War Powers Act, the pro or con or whatever. This is you had this rising sentiment with, with the Democrats and, and, and different ones of, hey, we got to do something because of this Khashoggi thing and the Saudi Arabia thing. So this is the House trying to act preemptively to say you will not touch our military adventures in Yemen. Period. That's it. It's yeah. nothing to do with let's reevaluate the War Powers Act, get rid of the War Powers Act, affirm the War Powers Act. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with don't touch our war in Yemen. Uh, it, that is being led by Saudi Arabia. That's it. So for somebody to come, somebody to come back and say, "Oh, you should be, you should be for this because the War Powers Act isn't a good thing anyway." Okay, you've com- you completely don't know what's going on here. You've completely missed what's happening. Well, but the War Powers Act is a bad thing. It this is, but not that's not what this is do, about. Yeah, this is not about that. And this is about Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what it's about. It's about Saudi Arabia and people's perceived. Or, or the left, in particular's perception of Trump's relationship with Saudi Arabia, and then on the House side, it's about making sure that the war machine continues unabated, and that we don't buck the Saudis. Yeah, that's it. That's what's going on here. End of story. Thank you, Paul Ryan. Thank you, establishment. Democrats, Republicans, for your yeah, never-ending wars. That way, you see... He's one of those guys being, we talked about yeah. that right, rode the wave, right? Mm-hmm. The Tea Party wave mm-hmm. of, of the grassroots people's message. This was never Paul Ryan's message, but he was one of those guys that tried to adopt the language and pretend to be something he's not. Paul Ryan was pure establishment from the beginning, always has been, always will be. And everybody said goodbye to Jeff Flake last week. Yep. Thank God. Goodbye, Jeff Flake. 
he's he's gone, but he is not gone forever. He's going he's going to be he's going to be like a bad apple. He will resurface. Hey, I have I, I wanted to talk about this. This is really interesting. I I, I got a, a little bit of historical trivia for you, JC. Can you name the woman that signed the Declaration of Independence? I can. You can. Awesome. Yep. What's her name? I just read the Oh, you did? <laughs> her name is Mary Catherine Goddard. And uh, she ran the printing press. She was actually the first um, postmaster. Uh, postmaster general. Thank you. I was coming up with that word. Pro- postmaster general. The first female federal employee. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? And she owned uh, several newspapers. She owned the Providence Gazette, the Maryland Journal. And another one I just I lost. Uh, but anyway, her family were were big in the um, printing business. And when her father passed away, the business was passed on to uh, Mary and her brother. And her brother was a complete waste of time. Well, no, and, no, no, and practically, no. Her, no, her brother was the one that started. A, a lot of he would start the newspapers. Yeah, he would start them he, and then he run was, away. He was erratic, mm-hmm. and he was just—it was like he just—he just had to move on, start another one, start another one, start another one. So she would always end up. She ended she and up her being mother, the ones that ran it. Now yeah, her mom was the one that funded this stuff. Yeah, in, in the first her mom, place. her mom, and um, when her mom passed away, Mary was left with the whole thing, and and what it's called is the um, oh. What is that word? What is wrong with my brain today, JC? Better watch out. I think I'm going to have a headache. The uh, When they printed out the declaration of broadsides. broadsides. So she is the printer of the Goddard Broadside. And at the bottom of the Goddard Broadside is right there at the bottom. It says uh, printed by Mary Catherine Goddard. Yeah, so that was the second publishing of the declaration that actually had the signers' names on it. So right. when they printed it the first time. It did not have their names on it. So technically, it's the first publication with the names. Correct. Printed by a woman. And her name. And her name, which, right there at the bottom. Which she normally put M.K. Goddard. This time, she spelled it out. So you knew it was a woman. And you knew that she stood for what they were doing. She was proud to fix her name. Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show, our final segment of our Saturday show. Please do not forget that we have our daily journal, Monday through Thursday. We are with you four days a week, bringing to you the truth of the current events from a constitutional, truly non-biased, principled perspective. And just another a woman of courage. You know her. Yeah, definitely. Her newspapers were well known by the British government for no, she slamming was, them all the time. She, she was the most influential professional journalist of a revolutionary era. Yeah, I mean that's that's all there is to it. She published. She was the one that published. Um, uh, what's his name? Payne's. Payne's common, common sense. sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know what, and and then she chronicled 
the stuff that the British w- was doing, British were doing uh, at the time. So, I mean, if, if you basically, if you read, if you knew what was going on, mm-hmm. uh, you got it from her. Right. Right. Well, they, they had she had three newspapers, Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore and um, Providence. And Providence which are the big fire pits of 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 yeah, the movement right. right there. So she was the Liberty Media. We need uh she needs to be in our Women of Courage t- uh t-shirt lines. You need to put her up there, find a really good quote and I mean seriously, uh, once again, how many raise your hand out there? How many of you heard of Mary Catherine Goddard? How many of you know the first American woman publisher? The first American woman she was a media mogul. She was. She was a media mogul. The first postmaster general, the, woman or the not, woman or not, the first. Yeah. Yeah. And so. she, unfortunately, uh, they, you know, after all of her sacrifice and accomplishment, they really did her wrong. They did eventually, uh, running her out of there. And of course, it started with her brother, mm-hmm. who seemed to be a real unscrupulous guy. Yeah, well, that's why I said what I said about him from the get-go. But <laughs> but I believe that Mary Catherine Goddard is one that we should be teaching. Everybody should know who she is. Uh, and uh, like Crispus Attucks and um, all, all of these people, Mercy Otis Warren, a women of firsts, in a society where we're supposed to be lifting up women and championing the firsts of the first, why do we not know so many of them? How many? Uh, and, and it's this sort of idea that, the history of America didn't begin until 1865. And it's, it's, just, it's just a huge shame. Teach your daughters about Mary Goddard and the Goddard founding mothers uh, who, and I say that plurally, mothers, because like you said, if it hadn't been for Mary's mother, none of this would have happened uh, upon the death of, of uh, Mary's father. And, oh, um... Mary Goddard, by the way, I don't know if you you read this about her. Mary Goddard was involved with the Eaton to North Carolina women. Yeah. And she was uh, she was the publisher that helped them get the whole uh, protest against the linen industry out there. She published right. how uh, the encouragement to for the women to teach the li- to make the linen out of Saxon uh, flaxen and wool so that they wouldn't be be buying the English linen and by the time of 17 what 86 uh, I think it was we had almost completely decimated the English linen industry uh, worldwide because of how much they were depending on the American economy for their English linen and we completely uh, the women we women completely destroyed that and I just I think that's amazing. Why would we talk about the signers of the Declaration of Independence and not talk about Mary Catherine Goddard? Her name is right there on the document. And you have to know, once again, that she was a supporter of it, as though, as JC said, in other cases, she had only put her initials on the documents, and this time she spelled out her name. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We have the Christmas holidays coming up. We want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget you can share the shows. You can watch them on YouTube. You can share them through SoundCloud. You can share them through chrisannhall.com. 
Spread the liberty spirit through along with your holiday cheer. God bless you guys. We will see you on Monday. I was 